0: Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the play to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Sautilize and do their lies, and make them fall. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get A little over a year ago, as uh, one of the very first of what became known as the Facebook files or the Facebook papers came out, uh, reporter Jeff Horwitz at the Wall Street Journal revealed that Facebook had a, uh, I guess, somewhat secretive program called X-Check or Crosscheck, which effectively whitelisted certain accounts uh, from various moderation effects and How the company got to that point shouldn't actually be all that surprising for people who have been following how trust and safety and content moderation and all of these things work. For years, I've talked about what I somewhat jokingly refer to as the uh, Masnick impossibility theorem, that content moderation at scale is impossible to do well, and that there are many, many different reasons for this, uh, which most of which I laid out in the, the post describing this concept. But one of them is that at a large enough scale, even a tiny percentage of mistakes will still lead to a huge number of actual mistakes in moderation. And in Meta's case, it turns out that it's making somewhere in the range of 100 million enforcement decisions every single day. And so even a tiny error rate will lead to massive numbers of actual errors and mistakes. Uh, There appear to be something of a perhaps reasonable fear within Facebook as to how those errors would appear when applied specifically to more high-profile accounts, because those are the ones that make news. When there are errors in in how more high-profile accounts are, are moderated, then it, it draws a lot of attention. So the cross-check program, in theory, began as a way to effectively protect higher profile accounts from automated or rapid enforcement and to really kick the decision-making to a more thorough human review. However, the program apparently then expanded to a point where there were over 5 million accounts that were in it uh, and the human review was often very slow, meaning that some of those accounts were able to actually violate Facebook's rules for quite some time before anyone would actually look at it after the wall street journal report came out uh and then some back and forth between uh meta and the oversight board uh the oversight board agreed to review the program and to make some recommendations about it and then we heard nothing (laughs) uh for over a year basically uh Nothing came out about what was happening with the Oversight uh, Board review. Uh, A few months ago, I was moderating a panel with people from both the meta and the Oversight Board. And I asked what happened to it and basically got back looks from both sides that said to me, oh, if we could only talk about that. (laughs) And then there was nothing until finally last week. Uh, the policy advisory from the Oversight Board finally came out, and it reveals, I think, some of the reasons for the delay, though maybe not all, including that meta was maybe being somewhat less than forthcoming uh, in response to some of the Oversight Board requests. But anyways, uh, we wanted to talk about that today. Uh, Suzanne Nossel is an author and the CEO of Pen America, which is, I must note, one of the I would say, unfortunately, few remaining organizations out there that I think regularly fights for free expression around the world. Uh, but even more important for this discussion, uh, Nossel is one of the Oversight Board's board members and is here to talk about this latest advisory opinion. So, Suzanne, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much, Mike. Good to be here.
0: So uh, let's start with, with the opinion. Uh, can you, to the best of your ability, I know it's it's long and complicated and nuanced, but can you give a summary, I guess, of what the Oversight Board found and what it recommended?
1: Sure. We, uh, we took a look at this cross-check system, which is a system that aims to address the problem of false positives, meaning content that is taken down from the platform, flagged as violating uh, Facebook policy, uh, and yet does not. uh, Upon further examination, uh, that that initial determination is mistaken. And so the cross-check system is aimed to ensure that certain categories of users are uh, availed an opportunity for human review after their content is flagged as violating, uh, it goes through various layers of human review during which time it stays up on the platform. And so what we looked at is whether the system was fair and justifiable. And what we found was that it was riddled (laughs) with problems and deficiencies, that there was a mismatch between what the, system was intended to do, at least by uh, Meta's account to us, and how it was actually structured, that it amounted to really a a, a multi-tiered system where certain users are given privileges and have much greater expressive freedom on the platform because their posts will not be taken down or not taken down for a while. Uh, and and generally not during the period of peak virality. So in effect, you're allowed to say things, post things, and show things that others would not be permitted to do. Uh, The delays in removing content that can be harmful, including, for example, non-consensual pornography, something that Meta says it strictly guards against on the platform, that seemed to be uh, subject to this vast loophole a failure to track the system to determine whether it was meeting its stated goals or how it was working, what the error weights were uh, when this human review took place, and then an utter lack of transparency about the system. It really took uh, the Wall Street Journal and Francis Hogan, the Facebook whistleblower, to alert the world and the board to the scope of the system and how it operated.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think... Yeah, I mean, I think it, it was really interesting. There's a lot in the the report, uh, which is, and I, I keep recommending this to people. Um, you know, I, the 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 oversight board opinions are actually worth reading, and they are very readable, which I think is important because I think people come into this and they think, oh, you know, it, it's it's maybe going to be more like a, you know, a judicial opinion, which depending on on which judge you're dealing with may or may not be all that readable but the the oversight board opinions are much more readable and I think really lay out the issues very clearly um, and you know the problems with with this setup and and you know it was notable that you know when the Wall Street Journal came out with this um, you know Facebook really sort of tried to or meta whatever, At the time, I guess it was still Facebook, uh, really tried to sort of play down that, oh, this wasn't that big of a deal and everyone was making a bigger deal of it. But I think, you know, a a lot of what the oversight board opinion lays out is that it is it is actually a pretty big deal and had a pretty wide impact. Do you want to talk a little bit about sort of what what you found as you were reviewing the program in terms of, you know, how much of a, a wider impact it had?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are over 5 million users in the program. No one knows exactly who they are. We were not able to find out from Facebook uh, who is enrolled in the program. We asked repeatedly, they cited privacy concerns, which, uh, you know, according to the expertise that we enlisted, were not really reasons why they couldn't tell us. Uh, So that's shrouded in some mystery, but with respect to those 5 million users, given the way Crosschecks works, essentially if they post something on the platform that would otherwise be found to violate, it could be a hate speech policy, it could be a nudity policy, it could be a spam policy, uh, any sort of category of content that is prohibited on Facebook or Instagram, rather than being taken down after it was flagged initially by either automated or human review, it would stay up on the platform and be funneled into a system whereby it would be submitted to additional layers of human review to determine whether it was actually violating or not. And if anyone found it in those subsequent levels of review, found it to not be violating, it stays up permanently. But even if they don't make that determination, it would stay up until the process was complete. And that process could take anywhere from you know, 12 hours to 12 days, sometimes in rare cases, up to months. And, you know, there's a, a kind of a famous case of the Brazilian soccer star Neymar, who posted non-consensual pornography that remained up on the platform. There were tens of millions of views of it all over the world before it was taken down, uh, I think about 24 hours later. And, that's just an example of content that could be genuinely harmful where the peak period of virality with this stuff as we know is the initial hours after it is posted so the fact that it gets taken down you know a day or three days later you know the damage is done in a lot of these cases and so it's a very you know significant aspect of how the platform works and i you know i think the motivation behind it i read something by Katie Harbath, who used to work at Facebook, a story that uh, the, the, one of the genesis of this system, it was a incident where kind of in early days, I think 10 years ago on the platform, there was a list created of words that you couldn't say on Facebook, and one of them was dick. And during, I think it was the 2012 Obama campaign, at one point, the candidate Obama's Facebook page was taken down why because he published a list of his favorite books and one of them was moby dick (laughs) and so the page came down and you know i understand why that was sort of a five alarm fire within uh both the campaign and meta uh you know in the height of uh, a political season and why they felt look we need a system whereby that kind of mistake won't happen and where if it's an s- extremely sensitive account, like the you know at the time the president of the United States, uh, you know we're protected against a error of that nature inadvertently kind of going into effect, and I think you know that makes sense. And so we spent a lot of time in the course of this opinion trying to explicate you know what elements of such a system are are valid. You know where can we see a legitimate rationale and justification for such a system. And where do we see aspects of a system that are really just privileging the most powerful users, uh, creating uh, kind of second-class citizenship for people on the platform, uh, a mismatch between stated purposes and the way that the system actually operates, disparities when it comes to linguistic and translation, resources necessary to allow populations of users outside of North America and Western Europe to fully avail themselves of the system. Uh, So many aspects uh, of that nature kind of came into our focus as we approach this.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one thing that that I I think you sort of touched on a little bit there, but that I thought was really interesting about this is that in some sense, you're sort of debating between the trade-offs between type one and type two errors, right? It's the, the false positives and the false negatives. And, you know, the issue is when you have that that Obama situation where you have this sort of false positive that 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 gets content taken down. That's a problem. But then the the Neymar example is sort of the the false negative, where effectively you're you're defaulting in the other direction and and having ha- having that kind of error. And and it appears that you know Facebook chose the way they set up the cross check program to say like we would rather have. The the sort of Neymar type errors than the the Obama type errors, um, but I'm not I'm not sure if and I didn't see anything so I'm kind of curious if you saw anything in terms of like how how do they determine which of those two kinds of errors is is you know is what they should be optimizing for?
1: Yeah, I mean, one thing they told us, uh, which we put into the opinion, is that they. We're concerned about the accusation and the perception of censorship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that goes to false positives, to taking down more content than is necessary. You know, a, 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 a fealty to free speech is sort of part of their brand. There have been lots of accusations and they're swelling right now that there's sort of politically oriented suppression of speech. And so I think that's part of why they created such an elaborate system to deal with false positives, whereas I'm not sure they quite have the equivalent when it comes to false negatives. I think one of the challenges, candidly, is that, you know, these are blunt instruments. You know, you're not able to, at this scale, kind of calibrate finely. So you're going to have an enormous amount of content that sort of stays up where it shouldn't, and an enormous amount of content that comes down when it shouldn't. And One of the most striking things here, though, was that those rules and defaults operated differently for this class of 5 million users, and that they were given far more expressive leeway to have their content stay up on the platform and and have kind of the benefit of the doubt, whereas the ordinary user base was subject to much more stringent rules. you know, as an oversight board, we can accept that there may be justification for some different rules. I mean, we debated ourselves, you know, is this more like a kind of class of service issue, for example, on an airline mm-hmm. where, you know, their biggest customers are given the three course meal and the warm towels <laughs> and the rest are sort of sitting in the back? Or is this something more like the highway where everybody has to adhere to the speeding limit? Anybody can get pulled over. Anybody can be Ticketed, uh, and there are no special rules. And what we concluded is that we could see that there may be justification uh, for some differentiation in mistake prevention approaches, but that it needs to be more principled, more transparent, more based on uh, delineated, articulated criteria, and a lot of that was missing.
0: Yeah, there are a bunch of a bunch of points I want to dig in on on that. Uh, but but first, you know you You mentioned that you know they sort of defended some of this as sort of you know free speech supportive um which I understand like if you're if you're weighing you know which of the types of errors you're you're going to to you know allow more of um I, I think that framing makes sense, but one of the things that I thought was interesting in the opinion which which it calls out a bunch is that for all the talk of sort of you know, more high-minded reasons for this—you know, free speech, human rights, or whatever—in the end, part of the conclusion that you came to is that they were doing this more for business reasons than actually for for sort of the the free speech, human rights issues. Um, do you want to talk a little bit to to that point of the of the opinion?
1: Yeah, I mean, sure. You know, one of the things we learned was that a major driving force and motivation behind this system was to mitigate what they call escalation risk. And escalation risk is essentially the scenario in which it's kind of like the Obama example, where there's a very high profile account, something is taken down, and you have an irate and powerful (laughs) user that can escalate right to the top echelons of the company. You know, it could be Mark Zuckerberg or one of his top lieutenants and that, you know, that causes a headache. It can be a PR nightmare, a reputational issue. And so this system was created in significant part to protect against that and to ensure that when it comes to, those accounts, people with that kind of access, that kind of visibility, that kind of reach, that there are many fail-safes that ensure that their content is not wrongly taken down. And so, you know, that, you know, when you look at the design of the system comes through very clearly. And, you know, one of the things that was challenging when we began to probe into the system was that wasn't really how it was described. The emphasis was put on you know, the content of journalists reporting from the front lines or community uh, leaders exposing hateful speech or bigotry and other kinds of content where you can see sort of from a human rights or public interest perspective why you might want to afford it greater protection, why you might worry about it being misconstrued as violating when it isn't. But that's not really the thrust of the system because there isn't a systematic effort or approach to trying to sweep up that kind of uh content that's valued extra valued from a human rights perspective that uh is very much scattershot uh whereas when it comes to business partners to political leaders they are kind of comprehensively encompassed and enrolled in this system
0: and 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 that gets into some of some of the recommendations right in in the report was that um you know, there are some suggestions for how Meta should should make this, you know, a little bit more systematized and a little less arbitrary, right? Do, do you want to talk a little bit about the recommendations on that front?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, we talk in the recommendations about kind of three categories. We said, look, there's some people, uh, some u- categories of users who should have more, uh, greater access to such a system, users whose content is of particular value from a human rights perspective. And, You know, Facebook has systems where they work with journalists and media organizations because they presumably recognize that that content has added value on the platform. They want to make sure those people can stay on the platform, that they're not chased away, you know, for example, uh, as a result of harassment. And so, you know, there's some ability perhaps to draw an analogy there and to derive, you know, the list composition, how you comprise these lists is very, complicated and labor-intensive, and we recognize that, but we think that they could do a better job systematically to identify those who are deserving of this kind of protection, put them in the system. We also recognize there's some who they may, as a business matter, want to put into the system, uh, and and we accept that. We recognize that Meta is a private company. They have business imperatives. Uh, we're not saying categorically that, that, that that's wrong, but we do identify a category of people who we think should not be uh, in this mistake prevention system where they have greater expressive leeway. And that's particularly users who abuse it. Those who have track records of posting impermissible content, content that is violating. So uh, uh, users for whom it's a real hazard to lower the guardrails and allow them greater expressive leeway. And there's a high probability that they will abuse it. So that's one paradigm uh, that we offer in the recommendations. We also talk about the importance of ensuring that it's kind of a bargain between the users who enroll in this system and those who are enforcing the rules so that if you are subject to looser rules and you have greater freedom on Facebook, you should know what the limits are. Mm-hmm. You should understand what kinds of content are and are not permissible. And if you violate those red lines, uh, you should be held accountable. You should be uh, kicked out of the system. The system should be accessible to people who have a justification for saying that their content is more likely than usual to be subject to. Uh, improper removal, to be or mistaken removal, uh, that their content is of high value, uh, that there should be an application process where you could ask to be included in a mistake prevention system like CrossCheck. Uh, there is no channel of that nature today where people can sort of put up their hands and say, I think I deserve this extra level of expressive protection. We also talk about the importance of measuring, whether the system is doing what is intended, what the overturn rates are, how much content is actually permiss- uh, or improperly being taken down or left up, uh, to see whether the system is working uh, and to be able to evaluate that and track that over time. Without those metrics and measurements, it's really impossible to say the system uh, serves a legitimate purpose, which is one of the important tests under international human rights law. Uh, you know, if you don't measure how it works, you don't know whether it's serving that purpose uh, well or not. You also don't know whether it's properly tailored, uh, whether it's, it's sweeping up much more content than it should. Uh, so those are some of the issues that we de- go into in the recommendations. There's a lot more in terms of transparency, in terms of uh, equity issues across geographies and languages
0: yeah the the um you know i thought the transparency stuff was interesting too because it it lays out some of some of the challenges here as well because you know one one of the the recommendations sort of gets into um you know whether or not it should be public if someone is in this program uh and there there are obviously cases where that makes sense but then it it also notes that there are pretty obvious challenges with that in some cases as well. So, you know, for human rights activists, for example, sort of putting a target on them in some sense, or even putting a target on their account where somebody might want to, you know, hack and take over their account if they know that they're a part of the system. Um, and so, I, you know, one of the, the things that struck me about it is that, you know, through, through this entire, you know, this entire system and and you see it in the the opinion is that every one of these decisions has trade-offs and it, it doesn't seem like there's a, a kind of you know clear like this is the right answer so so i'm i'm kind of curious how you guys balanced all of that uh and, and the fact that you know I, I it felt like there were there were interesting arguments in every direction on this stuff and and some of the opinion feels like you know trying to walk that line and and i'm i'm wondering how even the the sort of internal debates within the oversight board of how far do you go on that and how do you balance these different competing factors?
1: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, we struggled with kind of where to draw the lines and how to weigh the pros and cons. We were also operating with imperfect information because, you know, again, we don't know who's actually – on the list, uh, you know, really can't analyze fully what the composition of the list is. And so, you know, we sort of did our best to spell out what we saw as, for example, in the area, area that you're bringing up of whether it should be publicly available information if someone is enrolled in cross-check. You know, we thought for public figures that it should be uh, and that you know, particularly for users where they're complaining about certain content, uh, you know, if it's been left up because the person is in cross-check, that that would be something Mm -hmm. that the public uh, or those uh, raising those objections should know. And we thought there were other instances where it could create a moral hazard Mm -hmm. where someone's, uh, you know, might be tempted to hack into an account, knowing that if they got control of an account belonging to somebody Uh, in this system that they could post something that would otherwise be impermissible, but that there would be a good chance it could be left up on the platform for, uh, you know, the initial period of maximum virality. So we try to spell out, you know, that breadth of considerations and draw the line where we thought best.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one thing, and, and this this came out in the original Wall Street Journal article about all of this. It is implied strongly, though, I don't know if it was ever confirmed or if I, I, I missed it, that um, – and, and it would be fairly obvious why – that Donald Trump was in this cross-check program, which you would probably expect that to be the case. And it was argued that because of that, effectively, um, you know, when the, the oversight board – reviewed the questions around whether or not Trump should be reinstated or whether or not the the decision to pull his account down was um you know was proper or not that the oversight board didn't have full information about sort of how Facebook treated Donald Trump's account um and that was sort of some of the framing of of the original Wall Street Journal article and and I'm wondering you know, how much of that was taken into account in terms of, you know, thinking through th- this particular opinion?
1: I mean, I wouldn't say we focused particularly kind of on the Trump case, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because it's sort of such an unusual case <laughs> yes. uh, and the program is so big. And, and you know, and we'd also spent a lot of time as a board parsing the Trump case in the context of that opinion. So, you know, I'd say we tried to take a, a more systematic uh, look at it and how it was affecting the kind of ecosystem as a whole and all kinds of users, whether they're mm-hmm. business partners, journalists, human rights activists. Uh and that, you know, that was more of our focus. You know, I think we also recognize that, you know, whether exactly cross-check or not, that when it comes to the president of the United States there is going to be additional scrutiny, there is going to be engagement of senior executives, and that's sort of unavoidable. And so we weren't, you know, I I would say kind of implicit was our notion, you know, we wanted to create kind of, you know, set out parameters for a general system, uh, as opposed to one, you know, tailored specifically to that one quite extraordinary case.
0: Right. So there was one thing that was in the report that I I wasn't sure I fully understood, uh, and and maybe again I I sort of missed it in the details. It's mentioned that you know one of the concerns that the oversight board has about the cross-check process is that it it effectively you know it it you know it put people in into sort of different classes. But one of the the impacts of that was that apparently something like thirty five percent of cross-checked content was somehow not able to be escalated to the oversight board, you know, that that you couldn't put in an appeal to the oversight board. I I wasn't even quite sure I understood why that was. Um, Do do you have any more details on that?
1: Yeah, I can say a bit. I mean, look, at some level where content is going through, in some instances, three or four levels of review uh, or being escalated to the highest levels of company, you know, that content is getting a lot of detailed attention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while you might come at a final decision on it differently, that is not the typical case that comes before the board. I mean, we, uh, you know, when we deal with most of our cases, there is no articulated rationale or very thin uh, rationale for why the co- initial content determination was made. Once we take the case, meta uh, provides, you know, takes another look and provides a more thorough articulation. So I think, you know, there's probably, you know, we say in the opinion, there's sort of probably some rationale for certain cases that have already been reviewed extensively not to then come again to the board. But we do think it's important to lay out what the appeals process is and to have some appeals process, uh, you know, even for determinations that come through the cross check system
0: and so uh, you know as as we mentioned there there are a whole bunch of different recommendations for for meta uh to 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 look at and this this is an advisory opinion it's not binding right uh, as as you know the 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 sort of policy um side of the, the, the and, and I know like people who don't follow this as closely, it's, it's a little bit confusing because there are certain elements that, of the, uh, oversight board that are binding. And those are sort of like the, the, the actual direct moderation decisions. And then there are the policy discussions, which are not binding. And there's always been some concern about that, you know, from sort of outside observers about whether or not the, the fact that the policy opinions are, are not binding, um, you know, does that limit the the ability of the oversight board to be as effective as it as it might otherwise be? So I'm I'm kind of curious, and and obviously you can't speak for Meta, but do you have a sense of how effective you think this opinion will be in terms of actually changing Meta's behavior on this?
1: You know, it's hard to predict. I think they felt they had something of a black eye when francis Hogan accused them of lying to the board mm-hmm. about crosscheck and that this pao a uh, policy advisory opinion process is fairly high profile it's been you know it, as you mentioned in your opening uh widely anticipated among sort of the board watching and policy community so i think that creates some pressure to take what the board has done seriously uh, i'd say we also know that when we get into this with them they will come up with a lot of reasons that to explain why some of our recommendations are impracticable or wouldn't work or would backfire you know we we again we're operating in an environment with imperfect information you know my hope is that it does Spur a searching review of cross-check and a, a significant overhaul of the system to address the key concerns that we have flagged. Whether that looks exactly like the recommendations that we, as we have spelled them out, or whether you know it takes on a different form in some areas, uh, you know, I think that's possible. Uh, you know, it's it's not would not really be possible for us to issue finding recommendations about what the system mm-hmm. could look at like. We're not deeply enough in the technical weeds to be able to answer that. But I think what we have put forward and what they, you know, under the terms of their engagement of, with the board, what they're obligated to respond to is, you know, pretty thorough, pretty specific and is going to engender, I think an uh, in depth and searching dialogue about how the system needs to be uh you know, pretty dramatically uh, renovated and, and upgraded.
0: Um, and I mean, I know that 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 Meta has already made some changes to the program. And I guess they have ninety days now since since the opinion came out to to respond to to the rest of the recommendations. Is that is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's how it works. It's a ninety day period that they have to digest this, I and mean, they you know they. I think some idea, have had some idea of where we would come out. So sure. My hope is that, uh, you know, it is it is they are managing this system uh, in an ongoing way. They have made changes and we talk about that in the opinion, uh, some significant changes that they uh, made along the way, you know, to what degree were those things that would have happened organically anyway, to what degree were they motivated by the fact that the system had come under scrutiny? That's a little hard to know.
0: D- does... It- you know, is, is there any ability or, or setup for, for, for later follow-up from the oversight board? So, so Meta makes its decisions, responses to this in, in 90 days. You know, if the oversight board, f- for whatever reason, finds that Meta isn't taking it seriously enough or isn't doing enough, is, is there anything else that the oversight board can do?
1: You know, we have an impl- uh, implementation committee that, tracks the implementation of all of our recommendations and so we will stay on top of that uh, you know we engage with them on questions of implementation uh, to try to ensure that they're moving forward of uh, fulfilling the things they said they would fulfill we've spelled out uh, you know in this opinion what we think would constitute evidence uh, that an recommendation was implemented and that question of evidence is very important because, you know, it's it's too opaque for us to just take, uh, take them at their word. Uh, we have to see the uh, actual results and be able to measure how things are working in practice. You know, there's public interest in this issue and, uh, you know, thanks in part to the whistleblower. So that's another avenue. Uh, and I think users will also be now, I think, with the window that we have hopefully opened to allow people to better understand how the system works, you know, if there are instances where content is uh, seems to stay on the platform when it would appear to violate the rules, you know, the question of, you know, is this the, the cross-check loophole at work and, you know, has Meta done enough to address the concerns that the board has raised, I hope that, you know, becomes part of the public debate too.
0: And. Speaking of the public debate, um, and we can sort of close out on this this question here, or this discussion. Um, um you know, it, it's interesting. We're we're having this discussion. Um, you know, right after there, there's been some. I guess new levels of transparency. I would say around how Twitter is operating is the sort of diplomatic way of, of putting it. Um, and and some of the recent revela- revel- revelations, I guess, or uh, suggest that perhaps Twitter has a a somewhat similar system to cross check. I would imagine that a lot of other companies also have fairly similar systems where. There are certain accounts that are high profile, and therefore there is extra scrutiny and there is extra care put into any kind of, uh, you know, content moderation, trust and safety actioning um, for the same reasons that we've been discussing in in this podcast. Do you think, in general, that there are useful lessons that that some of the other companies? Can or, or will take from from this opinion, or do you think that the opinion is really kind of um, specific to the to the meta context?
1: No, I think there probably are some generalizable points about systems of mistake prevention, particularly systems that are what they what meta calls entity based. In other words, that your your entitlement to the greater Leeway, expressive leeways is based on sort of who you are uh, and anything you post. If you fall into that category, if you're on the list, is uh, given this added level of protection where it's more difficult to take down. And I hope that, you know, our analysis about how human rights law applies to this, how such systems need to be clearly uh, articulated to meet the legality test uh, for infringements on. Freedom of expression under international law—that there needs to be uh, a a clear paradigm where people understand what is what is and isn't permitted. That people need to uh, have a way of applying to be part of the system if they believe that their content should be entitled to that added level of protection. That there should be clear criteria for when that protection is afforded. That there should be appeals processes. I think all of those are. You know sort of generalizable uh ideas that could have applicability on twitter or elsewhere
0: yeah i'll i'll note i'm <laughs> I'm not convinced twitter's current management will will bother with uh reading a document that long, let alone understanding, <laughs> understanding all. Yeah, we have to put it
1: in, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the form of a, a tweet.
0: A, a meme, I think, uh, some some sort of viral meme <laughs> that explains human rights law and, and trade-offs to these things. But uh, anyways, um I think it's it's a really interesting ruling. I think it's actually for for people who are interested in understanding trust and safety and content moderation and all of the different trade offs um and and sort of you know the impossibility of of it all. I think actually reading through the oversight board opinion is a really useful document in in sort of laying out you know, what is going on and a bunch of the trade-offs and the fact that there isn't like an easy and and clear answer. So, so I, I really appreciate that. And I recommend for the people who are listening to this, who who are interested in that, that, that they do read over the document, which again, as I say, is, is very readable and, and quite interesting. Um, and, and so, uh, I, I think that's that's basically it. unless unless you have any final words uh, on this uh, I, I've covered everything that I had on on my list that I wanted to to dig in on um,
1: no I think you you've covered it well I mean just to, I guess a word on why it took so long yeah. you know a lot of that was trying to get the information and the answers uh, out of meta some of it is just the limitations of the structure of the board you know we're a global board uh, this turned out to be so... Complicated that our usual systems of trying to work on Zoom and email uh, really weren't up to it. We had to meet in person, mm-hmm. uh, take the time to uh, you know sit together and sort of draw diagrams and really understand how all of this worked. And you know, it was only once we did that that uh, things really got cooking. And so you know, that was a piece of it as well. And then you know, toward the end stages, just trying to make sure we were getting it all uh, exactly right.
0: Yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense. It was, there were, there were a lot of questions from people who were watching as to why it was taking this long and sort of what, what that meant. But, um, so that's that's definitely a useful context so anyways uh Suzanne, th- thanks thanks so much for for thanks so much for having for, for taking the time and um uh, thanks to everyone for listening as well and we'll be back next week took a shuffle and dig up the cat if we don't sound up to them someone okay took a shuffle and dig up the cat if we don't sound up to them someone to grab a shovel and dig up the cat